Amen. Lord, it's, we just thank you and praise you that you are a God who transforms lives. You have changed our lives by your love and your grace and your mercy. We ask as we go to your word right now that in the weakness of man you be made strong. You would be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 19 as we continue our verse by verse study. Turn everything on here. Okay. All right. Poor worship team was scared half to death. God bless you guys. I didn't mean that in a bad way. They just didn't know if I was going to show up, so they had to just keep playing. So. All right. All right. Chapter 18 ended, and the Lord was talking to Abraham. And if you'll remember, what had happened is that God had revealed to Abraham that he was going to bring judgment upon Sodom. And Abraham, in hearing that, cries out to the Lord in his very character and says, Oh, but Lord, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Lord, I know your heart. I know, the, you know, I know what kind of God you are. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then he says, Would you destroy... A f- If I could find just 50 righteous, would you forsake and save all of the people for the sake of the 50? And the Lord says to him, well, yes, I would. And we know how it goes. He keeps kind of negotiating in a sense that he gets it all the way down to 10. All the way down to 10. The Lord says, yes, for the sake of 10 righteous, I will not pour out my wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, remember, Abram had several reasons that he had a burden for Sodom. One, first and foremost, his nephew Lot was there. Now, even though Lot, as we're going to see in tonight's text, had gone there with all the wrong reasons and all the wrong motives, he still had a heart for his nephew. But also, he had rescued the people of Sodom from the kings from the east who had come in. Abraham had brought, risen up an army. He had gone out and fought against them and delivered them from bondage. And so in that case, he had obviously got to know some of those people. He had a burden for them. And so what we see in Abraham is really a righteous attitude. He's not negotiating with God or arguing with God as much as he is interceding on behalf of a wicked people. And you know what? A couple things we should see. First of all, it proves yet again that we're not going to be here during the Great Tribulation. Amen? How do, that was really weak. Amen? Okay. Here's how we know that. Will he judge the righteous with the wicked? What's the answer? Absolutely not. He's going to deliver us out. We will be in heaven. He loves us. He's a gracious and a merciful God. But also what we see is an example in Abraham how we need to be interceding on behalf of those who are not praying for themselves. We need to be the prayer warriors for the people who never open up their mouths and seek God. We need to pray for those no matter how far away from the Lord they may appear. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And our God can deliver them. So that brings us to tonight's text. And again... He's got this burden, but understand that Abraham has no real idea of what Sodom is like. He might have kind of an idea, but he has no real idea of what's going on down in Sodom. And tonight we're going to see one of the most wicked places in the history of mankind. 
Later on in the New Testament, it speaks of Sodom and about the righteous judgment of God and how God will bring judgment upon those who are in rebellion and have hardened their hearts toward him. And so we're going to see also that Abraham is going to be given a, a great object lesson of disobedience. And the Lord told him about Sodom because he wanted him to know when the judgment came that this is the result of rebellion. Because Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham needs to understand the seriousness of the word of God. That guys, it's not okay to try to be popular with our kids and water down the word. We're doing them more harm than we are good. And Abraham is telling them, he's, God's telling Abraham, look Abraham, you're going to be, have times when it's going to be easier just to say nothing or to compromise. Don't do that because this is the result of compromise. The carnality that you see in Sodom, what you've seen in your nephew Lot, this is the result of compromise. Don't fall into that trap. And so God's going to make it very clear that, again, his desire is to see that people walk in holiness and he will give them every opportunity, but they will not. If they will not, God will bring righteous judgment. Now, of Sodom, we're going to start looking at that now, but Sodom, remember that they had been rescued, so they had seen the mighty hand of God at work. And they had actually been there, if you look at the text, go back a few chapters, that the king of Sodom, who tried to give uh, gifts to Abraham after being delivered, was actually there at the same time Melchizedek was there. And he more than likely witnessed Melchizedek pouring out his blessing upon Abraham, and Abraham giving his tithes to Melchizedek. And so he had witnessed firsthand the blessings of God, the hand of God, the power of God, the deliverance of God, them being taken into captivity themselves, and now they've gone right back to their city. Having witnessed all that God can and will do, they went right back to their city and right back to their old behavior. Rather than repent, they went back to their old way of life. Despite a clear revelation of Jehovah to them, they continued on in their wickedness. So, I titled the message tonight, Compromise Leads to Carnality, and the mark, Marks of a Carnal Walk. Carnal, fleshly. How do we know when a Christian, or someone who claims to be a Christian, is walking in the flesh, or walking in a carnal walk? Guys, we, this, we should not have a assurance of salvation, in a sense, if we live carnally. I don't want you to say, well, I'm earning my salvation. No, but you know what? I wouldn't want to stand before Almighty God having lived a life that was so carnal that nobody knew I was saved. Amen? Because by your fruit they shall know you. So let me give you some examples in the, li- the life that we're going to see, uh, most of it, again, applying directly to Lot. So marks of a carnal walk. Number one, we become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. You know you're walking in carnality when you become more and more comfortable in a carnal world. Number two or an ungodly world. Number two, you become less and less comfortable around God's people. Have you ever met people like that? I don't like hanging out with those Christians, man. You know why? When we come, if we're walking with the Lord, we become a source of conviction. Did you know that? Just by the very fact that you love God and you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, not because we're self-righteous or anything like that, but just you having a love for God and a walk with God. Haven't you ever had people apologize to you when they cuss? Haven't you had people who know you're a Christian feel bad about their behavior because you walked in the room when the realization is God is always there? But you know you're walking in carnality when you start backing away from all your Christian friends. Dude, I don't want to hang out with him. He might ask me how I'm doing or might, you know, 
smell the alcohol in my breath or see the way I'm acting toward my wife or whatever it might be. I just want to stay away from those guys. I want to isolate, and that's what the enemy wants us to do. Number three in marks of a carnal walk, you try to negotiate with evil instead of standing against it. You're afraid to stand up for God. The marks of someone walking in carnality is a fear to stand up for God. Number four, it takes something major from God for God to get your attention. God has to do something radical to get your attention. Guys, if we're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, He can whisper, and we hear Him. Amen? But when we're walking in carnality, we're not as close to God as we used to be. He's shouting at us, and we don't hear Him. But He loves us enough to bring whatever it takes sometimes. Amen? Number five, people have little respect for your word. You know, when you, if you are a hypocrite, people are going to have little respect for what you have to say. I learned this even in teaching in prison ministry. Guys who would think, you would think in a sense had no morals, but they have a standard. And if a guy is, you know, says he's a Christian and, and acts like it, they'll leave him alone. But if he says he's a Christian and he's a hypocrite, they're going to be all over him. And the same is true for us. Our word means nothing if our actions don't follow it. Number six, you are slow to respond to God's commands. Number seven, you're willing to settle for less than God's highest. Number eight, you long for the things of the world. Number nine, other people must intercede with God on your behalf because you have little or no prayer life of your own. And finally, you set an ungodly example for your children. I know that's a lot of points tonight, but this is a a heavy-duty chapter. So let's begin looking at Compromise leads to carnality, marks of a carnal walk. Look at verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now the two angels were previous chapter. If you remember, it was three that came to Abraham, and one was the Lord, the other two were angels. The Lord has remained with Abraham, and the two angels have gone down to Sodom to bring God's righteous judgment. So the scene is now moving from where Abraham was down into Sodom. Now remember this of Sodom. It was the chief city of the five cities in the plain. It was outwardly lush. It was so lush, in fact, that that Lot looked toward Sodom and was enticed by it. I think it reminded him of Egypt. You could take Lot out of Egypt, but you couldn't take Egypt out of Lot. And here were the consequences of going down to Egypt. He comes out and he sees the lushness of it. It's beautiful. It's well watered and in the desert. That means a lot. But there's no prayer and and down he goes. And it was Sodom that Lot and his family graduated, uh, gradually migrated to. I wrote down, drawn like moss to a flame. And truly... That's what was happening. Remember, it says in Genesis 13, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Chapter 14, he dwelt in Sodom. And now in this chapter, he sat in the gate of Sodom. So deeper and deeper into compromise and carnality, more and more comfortable in the world. Now the word gate there, sitting in the gate of Sodom. The gates were the place where those in authority would sit. When the people had a dispute amongst themselves, they didn't hire attorneys and go to court. They would go to the city gate And there the elders would sit. And as they sat in the city gate, they would come before them and the elders or the magistrates or the leaders within the city would be the ones to settle the dispute. So Lot has become a chief or a magistrate or an elder in Sodom. Boy, has he gotten comfortable in the world. Amen? Now, when you go to Israel with us, I don't know, do we get those pictures loaded? When you go to Israel with us, 
One of the cities I love to go to is Dan. And what's interesting in Dan, they have rebuilt on the exact spot where it was, the actual city gate. And you'll notice that's us walking into the city gate. That's what it would look like. Keep going if you could, Larry. Keep going. It's my beautiful wife on the left. Now you keep going through here and you see, keep going one more. That is where they would sit. So you'd come into the city gate. You can see it's the entrance to the city. You would come into the gate and the magistrates would be sitting there and they would be the ones to judge the the people, to judge any dispute that would take place. And I think, there you go. There's my kids and uh, my 90-year-old grandmother and our, uh, not interpreter, but leader, whatever he was. But the point is that that's where they would come. And imagine you come into the city and you expect to see the elders and the leaders and the people that represent the city, and there sits Lot. As you read about this city, you're going to wonder, how in the world could Lot be a leader, be an elder, with what was going on in that city? Here's the reality. The city was having a bigger impact on Lot than Lot was having on the city. That's an exhortation for all of us. Are we having a bigger impact on the world, or is the world having a bigger impact on us? Amen? So, the gate was that place, and we, we see that Lot is stationed there, this place of authority, very comfortable in Sodom, and again, having little or no impact on it. He was a man who had seen God's highest calling on Abraham. He was, again, at hand to experience God's calling, was there when he saw God deliver them out of Egypt, and yet he's right in the midst of one of the most wicked cities on earth. He is truly a picture of carnal Christianity. And what do I mean by that? He thinks he can have the best of both worlds, the eternal benefit of knowing the Lord as Savior for you and I today, the get-out-of-hell-free card, but at the same time, living in the world with its possessions and its fellowship and its acceptance. So Lot had separated himself from Abraham. He's become very, very prosperous, a prominent man in Sodom, and prosperous to the point of wealth beyond his imagination. But guess what? The thing that he had strived for is days away from being destroyed. Guys, we can be pursuing things that are going to pass away. And he was pursuing that which was going to be destroyed. A prosperous man... From the world's perspective, and before we get to the end of this chapter, he's going to be living in a cave with nothing. Because that's what happens when you put your hope and your faith in the world instead of putting your hope and your faith in the Lord. You know what? If a man is prosperous, but he has no impact on the place that he is, what is that? How worthless is that? A guy can be wealthy, but if he has no impact for the kingdom, it's of no worth. And the same is true today. We think that prospering in the things of this world is success, but the truth is, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And nothing else is going to matter. So their wickedness, again, we know when you look later in 2 Peter, it says their wickedness vexed his spirit. But it didn't vex his spirit enough to do something about it. Guys, it's one thing to sit at work and think, you know, these people need Jesus really bad. Boy, they're a mess. That guy's marriage is falling apart. That guy's struggling with drugs and alcohol. That guy's a disaster. This guy's a disaster. Boy, that's just rough. And do nothing about it. Did God call us to be there to do nothing about it? God's called us to be salt and light and begin by praying. Amen? And we know Lot's not even doing that. Now, notice what happens. 
because we're now going to begin to see the second point. That not only do you become comfortable in the world, but you start to become uncomfortable around believers. Look what it says here. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So he saw them coming. It doesn't say, the word saw there means to perceive. So he recognized. Ooh. Oh. Now he's sitting in that city gate, right? He looks out and sees some people coming and goes, uh-oh. Those guys don't look familiar. They don't fit in here. Can you imagine two angels walking into Sodom that they might stick out a little bit? I mean, Sodom, the wickedest city on the planet, and here come two angels. Uh, different. And so here's what happens. It doesn't say he ran, but I have an idea. He ran. He ran out there and he bowed down and got on his face before him. Dude, what are you guys doing here? You know, it's kind of like if your pastor showed up at your house when you were having a drunken party. Everybody's getting hammered. You got 14 kegs and you know, hey, hey, oh, yeah. You run out the door, shut the door behind you, lock that thing. I mean, I have an, an idea. He got away from the gate, right? Don't let anybody else see these guys. Fell on his face. Hey, what are you doing here? How's it going, right? And that's kind of what we see happening with Lot. I think he's laughing for, at one moment, feeling right at home with the world. Yeah! And then, oh, wait a minute. Look who just walked up. Though living in carnality, he bowed before the angels. You know what? Carnal Christians will adapt to their surroundings. When they're hanging out with the Christians, praise God. When they're hanging out with the world, filth and foul coming out of their mouth, right? You know, put on the Christian face when you're around the Christians. And then you get with the world, you become like the world. Guys, that's a sign of carnality. And I'll tell you, I see this a lot when... I go out on sales calls, and people find out I'm a pastor, because they will be cussing up a blue streak, and then we'll start talking, and invariably, because I pray that God will give me an opportunity to share my faith, it'll come out that I'm a pastor, and I mean, it is radical. It's like something out of the exorcist, you know, head, head spins, and oh, praise the Lord, brother, I'm a Christian too, God bless you, I fellowship down, oh, hey, that's so awesome, well, praise the Lord. Dude, what happened to filth and foul 35 seconds ago? Guys, I pray that we don't adapt to the world, but that we stand for God. That we don't become like the world around us. That we're not like a chameleon that changes colors. But that we'd be salt and light, and we'd be that light that, you know, we don't hide under a bushel. So compromise leads to carnality. Marks of a carnal walk become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. And number two, we become less and less comfortable around God's people, afraid they'll see who we become. So what does Lot do? Verse two and three. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. Here's what I want you to do. Don't look at the city. Don't notice anything. And come into my house, and I'll feed you. And then early in the morning, before anybody gets up, get out of here. Because if you're around too long, you might see something. You might see the wickedness of the city. You might see how I'm living. You might see what I've become comfortable with. You might see the fruit of my ministry. Right? Lot is one of the elders in the city. How's that working out? We're going to find out in a minute. Not too good. Lot wanted to protect these guys, as we're going to see, but more importantly, I believe, he was ashamed and embarrassed. It says in 2 Peter 2.8 that the, the behavior of the people tormented his soul, but not enough 
that he would leave or rebuke them. Again, his biggest concern seems to be to get them out of sight and out of town as quick as possible. Again, because he seems to be more comfortable in the gate with the ungodly than in his home with the godly. He seems to be more, more comfortable back, in the, back hanging out in the city gate, no godly people around, just you know, shucking and jiving and living like the world because nobody's here to, con, you know, to bring conviction or hold me accountable. The sooner you guys get out of here, the quicker I can go back to my life. Lot tormented by their behavior. He will want to deliver the angels from it, but he's still going to, Dwell, he's been dwelling among them. He's risen to prominence and he's had absolutely no impact on this city. And it says there, now notice what they say. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. Now can you imagine his reaction? Oh, no, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> right? What? Yeah, we're gonna just, we're gonna camp out in the middle of the city. We're just gonna hang out in the open square. Oh, no, no, bad idea, bad, bad idea. I know the kind of people I live with. That's a bad idea. That's a bad plan. Uh, bad things will happen to you, and then you'll find out how bad the city is, and you'll find out what little impact I've had on it. I have to insist, verse 3, look what he says. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made him a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So he brings them home, and they have a feast. It is interesting that the first time in the Bible we see the term unleavened bread is in this chapter. Because leaven represents sin. And here he is baking them unleavened bread, which later, next time we see it, will be in the Passover. But here he is baking them unleavened bread. Guys, all the rituals in the world won't save you if you're living an ungodly life. Amen? And it doesn't matter, you know, how unleavened the bread is, that there's leaven in his life, and the leaven in his life is out of control. So compromise leads to carnality. Marks of a carnal walk become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. We become less and less comfortable around God's people, afraid they'll see uh, who we've become. Number three, you try to negotiate with evil instead of standing against it. This next passage of, of Scripture is some of the most vile and carnal stuff you're going to see anywhere in the Bible. Look at verse four. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house so the word got out that there were two new guys in town and somebody may have seen them and thought they were really attractive i don't think it mattered and and the word went out in a, in a short enough time where they made dinner and ate it in that amount of time the word was out in all of sodom and all of the men young and old all gathered together and they stormed lot's house well what in the world did they want I want to greet them, I want to welcome them to the city. The men of the city, the sin is running rampant. Their consciences are seared over. They've turned themselves over to a reprobate mind. Look what it says. And they called Lot and said to him, verse 5, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Don't mean to be blunt, but they're saying, bring them out that we may have homosexual sex with them. Nice town you got here. What in the world are you talking about? Two new guys come to town and the whole city comes over and says, send them out that we might rape them. That's Sodom. 
How in the world is Lot comfortable in a town like this? What in the world should a Christian, in his case he's not a Christian, but he's a believer in God, right? There weren't any Christians yet because Christ hadn't come. But what in the world is a godly man doing in such an ungodly city? And no less being raised to a position of authority, and he's the one delivering you know, the judgments to the people, and yet here he is living in a city that is so godless and so depraved. Now, people are afraid to talk about this subject, but the Bible talks about it, so we're going to. Homosexuality is sin. And the Bible says it is a searing over of the conscience. Now, let me make it clear. God loves homosexuals. Just like he loves adulterers and fornicators and drunkards and liars. Amen. And aren't you glad? Because you fit in that list somewhere. Amen. But here's the thing. The Bible does say of homosexuality that if somebody gives themselves over to that, they have seared over their conscience. They have turned themselves over to a reprobate mind. If someone can live in that behavior and not feel conviction, there is such a a depth of a searing over of their conscience. Now, can God still deliver them? Absolutely. Let's make that very clear. No doubt in a room this size, there are people in here that have family and friends who are caught up in homosexuality. You know what? Our God can deliver them from it. Amen? And we need to keep praying. But I want to say this again. All sex outside of marriage is sin. All of it. Some of you sitting in here in this room right now in the last week had sex outside of marriage, be it fornication, be it adultery, be it pornography, and that is sin and it's wrong. And, you know, yeah, I'm homosexual. Yeah, that's not me, right? But then we get real quiet when it's me. But let me say this, too. Homosexuality, the Bible talks about, is is so unnatural, so contrary to God's plan. You know what's interesting? There's this, you know, the next generation has fallen into the trap of thinking that homosexuality is like being a minority and they need rights because it's bigoted not to give them equal rights. But that's no, le- I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. But that's no, that's no different than saying we want special rights for polygamous. Anybody that does something that is outside of God's plan for marriage. Amen. Now, I, I just a couple notes just to, to try to make things a little clearer and then we'll move on. But what must God think of the current revival of homosexuality in this country? It breaks the heart of God. And guys, When God brings heavy-duty judgment, when great nations have fallen, it's when homosexuality is on the rise. And it's not picking on the individual homosexual. It's showing the heart of the people within that nation. Guys, we need to stand up that God is the one who designed marriage. One man, one woman, lifetime, that's it. God said so. We can vote all we want. Judges can change all they want. The word of God defines it because God created it. Amen? And anything less than that. Now, we need to love people, not be self-righteous. But I did uh, just a couple statistics, just to give you an idea, though. Because, you know, even the term gay, that's, boy, that's from the devil. Because gay means happy. This is not a happy lifestyle. You know that 
that suicide is much higher. Depression is higher. Lifespans are shorter. It's not gay, it's homosexuality. There's nothing happy about it. I also read some statistics, just blow my mind. 43% of all homosexual men say they've had more than 500 sexual partners in their lifetime. So this, this you know, it's just, we just love the same sex and we just want to be married for a lifetime and it's one, no, that's not true. It's not true at all. God did not create two men to have their drives. No, it's not what God has ordained. Less than 1% of homosexuals say they've had less than 10 partners in their lifetime. So the reality is, there's, no, there's not the level of commitment. It's not the way God created it. It is wrong. It is sinful. And it's running rampant in Sodom. It's where we get the word sodomy. It comes from Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality is condemned throughout the Bible when people try to say, well, the reason, they go to Ezekiel and say, well, the reason that God brought down hellfire, God brought down fire of judgment upon Sodom is because of a lack of hospitality. I'm serious. I've had this discussion with a homosexual pastor. Said, yeah, it was a lack of hospitality. And that's, it's uh, Ezekiel, I believe it's Ezekiel 16.49 or 17.49. But you go to the next verse, you know what it says to him? Because they had committed acts of abomination that he brought judgment upon them. It wasn't because they didn't invite people over for tea. That was not the problem. The problem was the absolute spiritual bankruptcy. So in the Old Testament, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. In the New Testament, it says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the good news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Amen. You read that list and go, ooh, well, that was me. Yes, it was. But now you're a new creation in Christ. Amen. But see, I, again, we are, I think we're getting too light on sin these days. We're saying it's not that big a deal. And again, I'm going to exhort you because if you are in a relationship with somebody you're not married to and you're having sex outside of marriage, you need to repent and get right with God. Amen. Nothing good's going to come of it. If he loves you, he'll marry you. Amen. And if he gives you another excuse, send him to my office. I'd love to have to talk with him. Because it's an absolute fact. It's pathetic. So, homosexuality, there's a hardening of their hearts. Again, God can still deliver them. He's a gracious and a merciful God. But here's a city filled with hard-hearted, carnal, seared over conscience, not hearing from God. Lot's living in the midst of them, and he's comfortable there. Verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. Where before, he, was, you know, he went out to the, the angels to keep them away from his carnal friends. Now he goes out to his carnal friends to keep them away from the angels. And he goes out the door, and, and, and notice how he talks to them. Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. I hate to use this word, but wimp. I mean, what is up with that? The angels of Almighty God are in your house. Why are you going out and negotiating with the ungodly? You know why we do? Because we're afraid. And I can understand being afraid. I get it. 
He'd probably seen this mob scene before. He's probably seen people drug out of their houses. He's probably seen it. But yet he continues to live in it. And now being faced with it, he tries to negotiate with evil. We don't negotiate with evil. We stand against it. Now, if you thought Lot was a mess, wait till you read this next verse. Unbelievable. Verse 8. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do with them as you wish. Nice dad, exactly. What in the... Yeah, my two virgin daughters? Why don't you all just take them out and rape them instead? Here, just have my girls. You... Lot. You know what's amazing to me? He's referred to later as righteous Lot. God's a God of grace, isn't he? Amen? Because I'll tell you what, I have, I have a lot of frailties, but they're going to have to kill me 12 times before they get to my daughter. Amen? You better bring an army and 500 guns, because that, you know, you, you know what, and then my wife will be right behind me. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, you, you must be out of your mind, because that's what's not going to happen. And here he is going, hey guys, look. You know, uh, leave those guys alone. How about I bring my daughters out to you? Lot is negotiating with evil. Lot has been hanging out with the world so long that he's forgotten and, and no longer sees the difference between good and evil. Guys, we need to be resensitized to sin. Amen? We've become desensitized to it. We've seen it so many times that we just don't even think it's a big deal anymore. Lot has seen this stuff so many times. Ah, you know, just take my daughters place is out of control anyway it's bound to happen at some point you might as well just take him he's not even surprised by the mob that came because look what he says only do not do nothing with these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof he says you know what the reason i put them in my house is because i knew you guys were going to try this i want he's judging these guys he's the elder in the city dude start elden man amen why don't you get out there and go, look, as a rule in the city, go home, and we're going to start serving. You know, Now, he might have got killed, but wouldn't it have been better to die standing before God than to give your daughters away? God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and praise God that the angels were there. You know what? May we be men and women who rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Amen? And you know what? As unbelievably vile as Lot's actions were, can we examine the way we're raising our own kids? I know we're not going to that extreme. But guys, think about what you let your kids watch. Think about what you let your kids participate in. Think about the things you're allowing them to do, the music they're listening to. Think about the way you let your teenage daughters dress. Amen? They're dressing for Jesus when they get up in the morning. Just remember that. Dressing for the Lord. And, and as dads... Moms, we need to take the initiative to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and it's not a popularity contest, and you're not leaving the house dressed like that. Get back in your room. Amen? Let's start being the parents. Quit apologizing for it. Well, you know, maybe it's not. Hey, no, you're not. And I'll tell you what else. Pray about the whole dating thing, too. It's personal conviction. You know, I believe in courtship to marriage, not dating. That's Pastor Dave's opinion, and you don't have to believe that. It's totally fine. But I'll tell you what, you'll save a lot of heartache. 
pray for the person God has for you. Does God have a person for you? Yes, he does. Why would you want to mess around with anybody else till that person comes? It's God's will. Number four, it takes something major for God to get your attention. When you're walking in carnality, it takes something radical. Now look what happens, verse nine. And they said, stand back. These are the men at the door. And they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. So here, he's been acting as judge. They even say it in the verse, but they're saying, we, you know, you've been acting as judge. We're not going to listen to what you have to say anymore. And as a matter of fact, we're going to treat you worse than we treat them. We're going to rape all of you. Here we come. So Lot, he negotiated with evil. How did it work out? Not too good. I have an idea if he stood up for God that God would have shown up. Amen. And you know what? God's going to show up even as he doesn't stand up for the Lord. Because look what happens. Verse 10 and 11. But the men reached out of their hands, these are the angels, and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. These guys must have been really strong. Then they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. Now, several things here. First of all, you see the hand of God delivering Lot and his family. Praise God for his grace. Amen? Does he deserve to be delivered? Absolutely not. Do you and I know? And what did he do? He struck them with blindness. Now what's amazing to me is they kept trying to find the door. You think struck with blindness might be, ooh, bad play. Maybe God's not happy with this program. And maybe we should go home. But they are so wound up in their fleshly desires that blind, they keep trying to find the door. Amazing. This is the depths of depravity, and so too, we probably, maybe some of us, probably all of us, at some point in our life, we can look back and see we've fallen to a point we just kept on sinning even after God warned us and warned us and warned us. We just kept going. And you know what? When you're walking in carnality, sometimes God has to bring something radical to get your attention. And you know what? He loves you enough to do it. And you might cry out to God and say, Why did you allow me to get in this car accident? Because you weren't listening. Amen? Why did you cause me, allow me to lose my job or go through this or get this disease? Lord, why? Well, you know what? I've been trying to get your attention and you're not listening and I love you enough to do whatever it takes. Lot, I love you enough. I'm going to blind everybody in town. I'm going to bring the angels, Lot. I'm going to do it because I love you. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. Now watch. He has grace even in wicked situations. Now look at verse 12 and 13. And the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Here's an example of rebellion unchecked and a refusal to repent that God's righteous judgment is coming. And here God's righteous judgment is coming, and yet he tells him, get your family and get out of here. God has called us to be separated from evil. You know what I thought about at this moment? Where's Abraham? He's hanging out where? With the Lord. You know what? When you're walking with the Lord and you're obeying the Lord, he's out in the wilderness with the Lord having fellowship at total peace. And Lot, who's in rebellion, is in the midst of this mayhem. Guys, this is a picture of what life is like when we walk outside of God's will and we walk in the center of it. Things can be tough, but we're with the Lord, amen? 
And here we see just a, just a chasm of difference between them. Now, notice what else is going to happen. Because he told them to get out. When we are walking in carnality, people have little respect for your words. So what happens? Verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. So we know he had two daughters at home that had never known a man and weren't married yet. So he had more daughters who were married. And he goes out and tells them. says, he goes out and tells his sons-in-law who were married to his daughters and said, Get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But his sons-in-law, to to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Guys, if you are a hypocrite, if you walk in carnality, your words have no weight. Your words mean nothing. This is the same Lot who's been living in the midst of this wickedness this whole time. He's the one that brought his daughters here. He's the one that's living in it. He's the one that's condoning it in a sense by not, you know what, here he is. And yet, he now comes and tries to tell us something. Compromise and carnality render our words and our testimony completely ineffective and his own son-in-laws did not take his words as truth number six we need to finish up you are slow to respond to god's command look at verse 15 and 16 when the morning dawned the angels urged lot to hurry saying arise take your wife and your two daughters who are here that means nobody else showed up nobody else came to go with him and then it says lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city and while he lingered Dude, get out of the city. God is going to destroy it. And he was like, run. Eh, Maybe later. Guys, the Bible says flee youthful lust. Amen. Get away from it. He wanted to hang out in the world as long as he could. He said, get out of here. He lingered. He wouldn't leave. Lot and his wife and his daughters had witnessed firsthand both the depravity of Sodom and the power of the angels, but they still lingered in Sodom, not wanting to give up its physical comforts. Now watch what happens. I love this. The men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful to him, the Lord being merciful, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. They drug him out of Sodom. A lot. Remember last night, guys at your house, wanting to rape you and the guys who are with you, and then you offered your daughters. Remember that little scene? And you want to stay? What in the world is up with you? This is walking in carnality. Guys, when we walk in carnality, we can be like those guys at the door. We can be spiritually blind to the truth. We cannot recognize how harmful. There was nothing good in Sodom, nothing. And yet he wanted to stay. Guys, this world has nothing to offer compared to what the Lord has for you. Amen? Number seven, you're willing to settle for less than God's highest. This shouldn't be surprising when he had to be drugged out of uh, Sodom. It says there, so it came to pass when they had brought him outside, they said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Now that's pretty, pretty clear. Get away. I want to encourage you, if you're tempted, run. If you're struggling with something in your home that's causing you to sin, remove it from your house. Amen? Get away. Don't try to see how close you can be to it. And he's telling him, run, lest you be destroyed. Verse 18, then Lot said to him, please know, my lords. This is righteous Lot. I have yet to figure out why. Here he is saying, they say, run to the mountains. Oh, that's too far. That's pretty much what he's saying. 
um, this city is about to be smoked. Run. Uh, can I go somewhere closer? Wimp. Come on, Lot. Come on, man. Be a godly man. What's up with you? You know what it is? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. He became comfortable in the world. He wanted, again, the line of least resistance. Look what he says. Indeed, now your servant, verse 19, has found favor in your sight, and you've increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. Dude, where do you think you're coming from? Can there be anything more evil in the mountains than the place he just left? And if God is the one sending him there, does he have anything to be afraid of? He's faithless, along with foolish. And then it says, see now this near city to flee to. Verse 20, it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. So instead of going to where God wants him to go, he wants to go where it's easy, the line of least resistance. And again, it's truly how his carnality continues to portray itself at every single turn. Now watch the grace of God. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the place was called Zoar. You know what's interesting? He said he wouldn't destroy the city until Lot got out of it. Guys, word of encouragement for us, amen? He would not bring his wrath upon it. Word Zoar literally means small place. But guess what? There's going to be more consequences coming. Verse 23 through 26. When you're walking in carnality, you long for the things of the world. Look what happens. The sun had risen upon the earth, and Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Is there any, is there any concern or question as to who's bringing the judgment here? It says from the Lord, it came from heaven. It wasn't a, an accident. God divinely brought judgment upon unrepented rebellion. And notice what happens next. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all its inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. Now, if you go to Israel with us, this happened in the area where the Dead Sea is today. We don't know where exactly, but nothing has grown there since. And that sea is called the Dead Sea because it's so filled with salt. And guess what Lot's wife is about to be turned into? A pillar of salt. So brimstone, the word there literally means God's fire. The word, you know, it's God's fire, literally. It's the fire of God coming down from heaven upon them. And the word overthrow there is catastrophe. So this catastrophe came upon them because of disobedience. And it says there in verse 26, But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife could not let go of the world. She continued to long for the world even after God had delivered her from it so graciously. She continued to want it. She couldn't imagine life without the world. And he told her, don't look back. The angel said, don't look back. And as she was leaving, she turned back because her heart was still in the things of the world. Guys, the Bible says to serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can know him in your mind. You can know what the Bible says. You can know all about him, but you need to give your heart to him too. Amen? We need to give our hearts to him, our passions, our desires, everything. Lord, it's all yours. 
Not just in my head do I believe, but in my heart I give my life to you. She was looking back at her house and her stuff. She was more interested in material possessions than spiritual gifts. And again, there are many pillars in that region today, and they still, the Arabs still call him Lot's wife. See a pillar of salt, and they call him Lot's wife. Number nine, we're almost done. Other people must intercede on your behalf. Look what happens. Then Abram went early in the morning at the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like smoke of a furnace. Imagine Abraham must have looked out and saw this radical sight, and he knew there were not ten righteous. Because if there were, this would not have happened. This is God bringing righteous judgment. This verse illustrates the truth that the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much because look at the verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow or the catastrophe when the overthrow or the catastrophe, the cities in which he had dwelt. Guess what? He delivered Lot for the sake of Abraham. Guys, we need to pray more. Amen? Because a righteous man interceded on behalf of Lot, God delivered Lot in the midst of his rebellion. Guys, what, an, what a word of encouragement. You ought to write in your Bible, intercessory prayer next to that verse. He's interceding on his behalf. God remembers Abraham and delivers Lot. Lord, let's cry out for those who are in bondage the way that Lot's wife was. Last point. You set an ungodly example for your children. This is so tragic. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him. So his wife's dead. He was afraid to dwell in Zoar. So the city he asked for, he didn't go to because he was afraid. All right. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. So let's see. How's this working out so far? He pitched his tent towards Sodom because it looked better, it looked lusher, it looked greener. And guess what? Now he's in a cave and he's got nothing. Because the world promises everything and delivers nothing. Amen? Satan promises riches and delivers death. So now he's living in a cave, and it's only going to get worse. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth that come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So the girls say, Hey, I got an idea. Let's get dad drunk. And then let's sleep with him. Now, where do you think they learned this kind of behavior? Living in Sodom. I also find it interesting that they had to run from the city, but they managed to bring some wine with them. Hurry up and get your most valued possessions, and they bring wine. Kind of a sign of some other things going on in Sodom. Isn't it amazing how often drunkenness and fornication go together? Why do people meet in bars? I get lose my inhibitions, man. Do some really stupid stuff I'm going to regret tomorrow. Right? Isn't that what alcohol does? You get enough poison in my mind that I'll forget about what I'm doing and I'll make I'll be a really poor judge of and I just make really bad decisions. That's why the Bible says be not drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm, I got one thought. Why didn't he go to Abraham? Why didn't he go to Abraham? You think Abraham would have said, Lot. You think dwelling with Abraham might have been better than being in a cave? You know what? Pride, though. I chose a lush land. I can't let him know. Uh, dude, 
He saw the fire come down from the sky. I promise you, he knows, right? But our pride can so easily get in the way. Now, so the sexual immorality of Sodom and Egypt and, and now has come down upon his family. And guys, our children are watching us. And the example we give them, don't be surprised when they follow it. And so Lot turns to alcohol and his daughters, again, the sexual immorality that comes. Look what it says in verse 33. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lied down or when she arose. He didn't even know what happened. He was so lit. This is another bad behavior that he learned by living in Sodom and by choosing to to be among the, amongst the ungodly. It happened the next day, the fir- verse 35, or verse 34. It happened the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lie with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him. Doesn't sin love others to sin with you? That we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lie with him, and he did not know that she lied down or that she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with children by their father. Living in Sodom resulted in incest. Guys, we need to be holy for I am holy. Amen? We need to not allow the compromises in our household because we don't know the long-range effects. And here we have him living in Sodom. He might have thought, I can live there and it doesn't impact me. Guess what? It's going to impact your family. It's going to impact your wife. It's going to impact your children. And it's going to impact you too. Don't fool yourself. Now notice what it says, last two verses. The firstborn bore a son and named his name Moab. You ever heard of the Moabites? Good people? What do you think? Uh, Not so much. The Moabites are going to introduce idolatry to Israel. How about the other group, the Ammonites? The Ammonites introduce idolatry to Israel and sacrificing children to Molech. And these are the descendants of Lot. This is not a good picture. This is the consequence of sinful behavior. But you know what's amazing, and we'll close with this. You know what's amazing? God's grace. Because guess what? Could anything be, very, very few things more vile than this chapter in the Bible. Would you say amen to that? And in the midst of that, Lot and his daughter have the Moabites. Guess who was a Moabitess? Ruth. Ruth, the great-grandmother of David, who is in the line of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. You mean, doesn't that just show the grace of God? It shows the incredible, now here's something else. The Ammonites, Naaman married an Ammonite woman who married Solomon, who is now an ancestor of who? Jesus Christ. So both out of the Ammonites and the Moabites came the Messiah. They're in the line of the Messiah. Now, that doesn't make excuses for sinful behavior, but it should be an encouragement to us that no matter how far away from God we've fallen, God can still use us. God's not done. He's so faithful. He's so gracious. For sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He doesn't just look at the sins of the past and say, I'm done with you. He's always willing to do great things through you. So in closing, compromise leads to carnality, marks of a carnal walk. We become more and more comfortable in an ungodly world. We become less and less comfortable around God's people, afraid they'll see you for who you've become. Number three, you try to negotiate with evil instead of standing against God. You're afraid to stand up for God. Number four, it takes something major for God to get your attention. Guys, don't get to that place where God has to bring a car wreck, a train wreck, cancer to get your attention. Walk, let's walk 
in the center of his will. Number five, people have little respect for your word. Number six, you are slower to respond to God's commands. You're willing to settle for less than God's highest. You long for the things of this world. Other people must intercede with God on your behalf because you have little or no prayer life of your own. And you set an ungodly example for your children. You know, experience is the best teacher, it's been said, but it doesn't have to be our experience. May we learn from lots. May we learn what not to do. And may we also be reminded of God's incredible grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, we know that when you bring judgment, it's only because you're righteous and just and you've given every opportunity for people to repent. And even in the midst of it, what an example as you sent angels in to drag Lot out even when he didn't want to come. Father, I just thank you for the grace you've poured out upon us. Lord, I thank you again that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I pray you'd help us, Lord, not to be lukewarm Christians, not to be those who would walk in carnality, not to be those who would have one face at church and another face at home and another face at work. But Lord, fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. We might be on fire for you everywhere we go, that we might not be ashamed of you, that we, Lord, we would stand up for you, that we would, Lord, have a godly example for our children, Lord, in the way that we live. Father, we love you and we praise you. We're so desperate for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.